as you uh, grandparents I know are starting to get into that as well, so you can see your grandchildren on, online and uh, realizing how this works. And um, I remember it was a, a couple, two or three years ago, I, I put a picture of myself uh, because I was frankly just proud of what I did uh, and, uh, and a testing in which I jumped over a couple of people and broke a board. And I put it up there, I was like, that's pretty cool, you know. Uh, and then I got these comments like, you didn't really do that. That was Photoshop. You, you didn't really. I thought, no way. I really did. And I realized that in this era where you can put up any image and say, this is me, that you can't really tell when someone really did do something or whether it's Photoshopped in. And, and so that's, that's the era we live in is, is the uh, time where we can present ourselves how we want to be seen. You don't see profile pictures with uh, people sporting the double chins, you know, uh, or they got the bags underneath their eyes or the hair just woke up, you know. It, you, you don't ever see that online. It's, it's always, you know, where it's, you know, contoured just right, you know, and to the side. So you, your, your hips aren't wide, you know, you, just, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, and so that's, that's how we represent ourselves. And there's a, one of my uh, songs that I, I personally enjoy. It talks about how we present the version of ourselves that's cropped and edited. We're killing our first impressions and hiding the evidence. Photoshopping the blemishes, these lies of perfection are the cries of desperation. Men who won't accept this, holding their breath, dying a thousand deaths, forgetting this beauty inside this mess. What else can we expect? We obsess over Twitter numbers, checking ours and comparing them others. Thinking the number of likes on a status is somehow supposed to raise the status. Man, this is madness. Take me off the shelf. I don't want to be for retail. I would rather be real, let you see the details. When we fail, it feels like we fall so far because they put us so high. I am not a star. I'm just a product of grace that's still in the process. And I don't got to be great because my God is. I'm just a product of grace. And guess what? I'm still in the process. There's unfinished business. Would you love me if I told you I couldn't fly? I got no cape on, no mask on, there's no disguise. I'm no hero, there's only one, and he's not for sale. I'm not a superhero, I'm just a man. No, I'm not a superhuman, I'm just a man. I'm just a man, but they never understand. I'm nothing more than a man lost, dead in my sin. So here I am, alive in your hands, your hands, your hands. And so, in this era where you can never tell what's real, what's just profiling, what's just presenting yourself, cropped and edited, and what's who you really are, it's kind of refreshing to read the book of Acts, because they're not cropped and edited. It's just as they are. Uh, in Acts 15, as we read through chapter 16, verse 10, you realize, wow, you know, Paul and Barnabas, I can't always relate to them getting shipwrecked. I can't always relate to them getting caned or getting stoned or getting whipped or, or singing in the prison and earthquakes happening. I can't relate to them uh, calling uh, lame people to walk. I, I can't connect with that, but I can connect with Acts 15 and 16. And I think the Bible includes this so that we understand these are real humans. They're not God's. And it's about the God they serve. And even in the midst of this, I think you see some pretty amazing things about the God they serve who uses vessels that are broken. 
Because that's the only vessels we are, isn't it? We're jars of clay. And so, in chapter 15, we're going to start uh, reading here and, and really focusing on verse 31 and go through chapter 16, verse 10. So in honor of this being God's Word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this as we look how God works through mysterious ways. This is the letter that was given by Jerusalem to settle disputes. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they spent some time, they were sent off in peace by their brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. And Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately... He sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. He may be seated. Remember the, the big theme of the book of Acts is how the Holy Spirit used people to spread the churches across the world. We call them, or we can call them, discipleship communities. People gathering together, learning about who Jesus is and what he's taught so that they could follow him and accomplish the mission Jesus gave them. We see a version of that in Acts chapter 1-8. Going to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, being a witness of the things that Jesus taught. And so that's what's happening. And so as we see this progression, it's interesting how the Holy Spirit directs the church to go. And in this decision we see, and especially in chapter 16, explains a lot of how the world is today. And so we see this, this decision that makes patterns for how the world would work in the next couple thousand years. But it's amazing to me to see how does the Holy Spirit work. And this one is especially intriguing because we see that it involves, one, a division, an argument, a fight, irreconcilable differences between, of all people, Paul 
and Barnabas. These two men that God has used that have been up to this point been a specific dynamic duo as they are uh, coming together, reaching the Antioch church, had their first missionary journey, uh, now back in Antioch, teaching together, going to Jerusalem, help uh, understand a doctrinal matter, and now they're back, and they have been inseparable up to this point. You remember Barnabas was the one who kind of vouched for Paul. If you remember, Paul was the one that no one really liked because he was responsible for the imprisonment and persecution of many of the early church. And so the early church is not going to embrace Paul. But Barnabas does. Remember, Barnabas is nicknamed encourager, the son of encouragement. And so that's his, his nature. He did that with Paul himself, and he's done it with others. Remember, he was the one who he sold his land and used that money to help the poor that was in Jerusalem and the, and the church. Uh, and so he has been remarkable. He was the one who went to Tarsus to get Saul and bring him to Antioch so they could do a teaching ministry together. All right? So that's kind of what's going on here. They have been inseparable. But we see something here, and I want you to understand as we read this, this is a very important port, port, point that I want you to understand that we don't always get. God directs even through divisions for discipleship communities. Divisions happen in the church. How else do you explain, I don't know how many denominations we have. And it's like, now... We don't like any of the denominations. So we go, well, I'm, I'm non-denominational. And we're kind of proud of that. And so it, it's got constantly dividing. In fact, Jehovah's Witnesses will speak to that as, you know what, that, why do you want to go to that church? Because they're constantly dividing. Jehovah's Witnesses, we have one unified, uniform, I would say, church. Every building is exactly the same. Every service is exactly the same. And so that's how they speak to the, uh, the value of what they do. Why do you want to go to Baptist church? They're constantly bickering and dividing. All right? Good question sometimes, isn't it? Uh, but I read here that it's not just to Baptist. It goes all the way. And yet you've got things like Jesus saying, praying that they would be one. Even as God the Father and the God the Son are one. So how does that happen? Well, I would still present to you that strong-willed, hard-hearted people sometimes are not so hard-hearted, so strong-willed that somehow they bend God's will. God still works even in the midst of hard-hardness. Even in the midst of strong-willed people who say, you know what, let's just agree to disagree. Sometimes they don't really agree too well on that either. You know, if that's agreement, then, <laughs> you know, let's just, let's just agree not to be around one another. It's kind of what's being said sometimes. Uh, and so, what, what's going on here? All right, so, 
Verse 36, Paul is saying to Barnabas, you know what, I've got a great idea. We, we've gone down this first journey. We've seen God work and start churches in amazing ways. Perhaps maybe we need to encourage them because we know there's some false teachers telling them that they've got to be circumcised. They've got to do extra law so that they can be right with God. We've got this decision given to us through Jerusalem. Let's strengthen the churches. Let's encourage them to make sure they're depending on the grace of God. So that's the idea. Barnabas is like, that sounds great. I'm right there with you. Uh, and see how they are. But then you've got this little, well, Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. Now, the word wanted to take with him is in the imperfect tense, which simply means he was forcefully wanting this. It was a continuous action that he wanted this to happen. Uh, John called Mark. This is uh, the one that was with them in the first journey. But when they left Cyprus and went to the, the mainland, John said, I'm, I'm headed out. And, and there's not a lot of reasons why at the time, but we get a little insight here uh, when Paul said, you know what, that doesn't make sense to take someone who has re- withdrawn from them and not gone with us to the Lord. He, he quit on us. At the time when we needed someone to be with us, he left us high and dry. Why do we want to go there? So what we see here is Barnabas was an encourager. He was focusing on the man. Paul seemed to be focusing on the mission. And they were going at it. Listen, usually what happens is in the sense of a, a, uh, in the middle of a conflict is two different perspectives, two different point of views that do not reconcile with one another. That's part of the essence of a disagreement. Same issue, two perspectives. And one of the things you need to remember is that most perspectives have some validity to them. Rare is the person who just wants to present the case that is flat out dumb. Because <laughs> no one wants to be on the dumb side, all right? So there's usually some validity to each perspective. It's helpful for us to remember that. Barnabas was saying, you know what? Let's not give up on the man. Let's encourage him. Because you know what, Paul? I didn't give up on you. Why don't you treat John Mark with some grace that I used toward you and that Jesus used toward us? Sounds valid, doesn't it? I can't argue with some of that, unless you're Paul. And Paul says, you know what, that sounds great, but you know what, there's a lot at stake here. There is people that have not yet heard about Jesus' name, and time is short. This is not the time to bring in the, the, the grade B. This is not the time to bring bench warmers in. There's a mission here, and there's a lot at stake. Let him hang out here in Jerusalem. Let him hang out in Antioch until he learns. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? They could, uh, in fact, employ Scripture if they wanted to. Uh, Perhaps Paul said, you know what? Let me remind you, Barnabas, of Proverbs 25, verse 9, trusting in a treacherous man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. Trust in a faithless man, it's like, you know, trying to chew and it's hurting you every time. Or perhaps maybe Barnabas says, well, that's great, but you know what? Have you thought about what Scripture says and how he treats us? Psalm 103, uh, verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He pardons all our iniquities. He heals our diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. Paul. Don't you love it when we start employing Scripture? 
and we can find scripture for either side either perspective here's paul and barnabas both doing that so what should we do let me just bring you one helpful point that i try to employ in my life that i think is has scriptural principles within this when you're in disagreement listen married couples all right when you're in disagreement it's not you versus them it is not you versus them you are together and the problem is separate it is you together against the problem if you can remember that it will help you have the right tone in disagreements and married couples do you have disagreements Okay, it's my anniversary today, so I'm going to ask you to speak up here, all right? I'm not going to, you do this for me, all right? I'm not going to go there, all right? We have disagreements. We get practice. Church members, do we have disagreements? Yes. It's not my anniversary today of the church, all right? We have disagreements. It is so critical for us to remember that it's not this side versus that side. When you start thinking that way, you've already lost it. You start thinking sides, you've lost it. You do that in your marriage, see how well that works for you. Your side versus my... No, we are together and we have a problem and we want to work together on this problem. God, give us mercy, give us strength, give us perspective that will help one another. And so... Here, Paul and Barnabas, you notice how it says they rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Sharpen. I mean, this is, this is kind of like their face may have gotten red. They may have spoke loudly at one point. There was a point where they ultimately said, fine. You think that, then I don't want to go with you. You go your own way. I want to bring some, some thoughts. These are some, some lessons from Chuck Swindoll. Speaking of this, when in a disagreement, work hard to see the other point of view. This is what you pray for. You pray that you can listen, okay? Listen. Not to what you think you hear. Listen with honesty, objectivity, and most important, humility. Make that your prayer to be able to do that. Listen, I wanted to bring to you that none of that comes naturally. That is a product of the Holy Spirit's work in your life. To listen with humility. When both sides have validity, seek a wise compromise. When both have validity, see how those create a balance. These two sides create a balance to help you to find the right course. I don't know if, you know, you makes you wonder, you know, Paul, why couldn't, uh, why couldn't there be some compromise here? Why couldn't it be a trial run? Or why couldn't uh, Barnabas, why couldn't he hang out and go through some kind of mentorship program even more until he was ready? I mean, no conversation or insights given to that. 
Number, number three, when conflict persists, care enough to work through it rather than walk out. Care enough to work through it rather than walk out. When it cannot be resolved, fourthly, graciously agree to disagree without becoming, without becoming disagreeable. All right? There's a saying that's been said in, by the church fathers that in essentials there is to be unity, in non-essentials there is to be liberty, and in all things there is to be charity. And that should certainly be true of our church, to figure out what is essential for us to be a part of this church And in everything else, practice love with one another. Understanding that some people are going to have personal convictions that will be different. And it's between them and God. Can we do that? That's going to be something that we will be tested in as time continues on. Now here's one of the things that's amazing to me. They split up. Barnabas goes to Cyprus, his home. It's where he grew up. And then Paul goes up to Tarsus, his home, where he grew up, and they both (coughs) pioneer in discipleship. So the effect of this is that their work has been multiplied. You know, one of the reasons why we have so many churches in North Carolina, can you guess? Yes? Because we couldn't get along. It wasn't because we had these great church planners and pioneers. It was like, you know, fine. If that's how you want it, you go. We're going to go and create our own church. And so you have churches like Harmony Baptist Church or uh, New Unity Baptist Church or Sweet Love. You know, uh, I don't really know any of those churches, okay? So um, I'm not picking on someone's home church. Uh, But Chances are there's some county that has Harmony Baptist Church or Unity, some unity in it. Why do they name it that? <laughs> because it's where the, the opposite of where they came from. Ah, that was what that, let, let's make this unity. Let's make this harmony. And so some lessons, you know one of the things that's fascinating, I learned this at uh, uh, our state, uh, one of the church planners meetings. They said, interesting enough, there is a hard rate for church, church new church starts, their survival. Um, very few percentage-wise are able to continue. But listen to this. Those church starts that come out of a church split, 80% survival rate. <laughs> I was like, what? You're kidding me? Out of such an ungodly atmosphere, attitude? I can't explain it, but they're unified, all right? They're unified. They are, they, the people are, uh, they feel challenged and they're going to commit it all uh, to see the church survive. Uh, but here's one thing I would present to you. Despite the divisions that have happened, God still uses it. He is greater that can take our faults. And this is one of the things we learn learning on some Wednesday nights. God can take our faults, save us from the consequences of those faults, not just despite our faults, but using those faults, God does that. You know, one of the things that's happened just personally here in our church, I, I don't know, I don't think that Green Pines has started any church plants from church splints, but I think we've contributed to some churches uh, along the way. Uh, those of you who've been here throughout can tell me the various stories. I've heard a few of them. I've experienced a few of them. Um, but here's one of the things I, 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 I learned. You know, we had quite a few folks go to uh, 
a church, Faith Baptist, uh, up the road. And, um, and uh, I was talking with Finney Matthews. He's, you know, a friend of ours that works at Alpha International, uh, leads that work in, in, in South Asia and Nepal. Um, and uh, found out he's getting to speak at Faith. And so he's now there, and that church is starting to learn how to support the work that's being done done at Finney and and I thought you know I, and when he shared with that with that to me I was like you know, Finney thank you for sharing that with me I, I don't think he wanted to share that with me initially uh, I said it, it helps me to know that the people that have come here that have been experienced in some way to what this church has been about are, are taking that to churches and now what has been seemingly a loss to our church now God is using it to bless Alpha International Ministries. Thank God. I praise the Lord for things like that. And we can see those who have gone in different ways, how they are in their churches and God is using them to help these churches to have a little bit more of an international mindset of how we can bring the gospel to the world. I thank God for things like that. Listen, God does stuff like that in order to see the nations worship Him. Now, I would not say this is how to make churches, all right? Let's get a good fight about something, and let's see what God does. I don't think we have to do that, do we? God, we kind of make that up on our own. But nonetheless, you see that happen, this split that takes up. Paul goes, and he goes up to the north and to the west. Barnabas takes John Mark. And they continue in the ministry. And God uses John Mark. I, I think about this. I read this. I think, now, Paul, didn't you write 1 Corinthians 13? You know, love is patient, kind. Love does not insist on its own way. <laughs> Have you ever thought about one of the ways that Paul wrote those things? Is because he went through it himself. He didn't write 1 Corinthians 13 at this point. Perhaps these are some of the things that he experienced that God was used to teach him. Listen, some of the most precious lessons happen through painful experiences in relationships. There is a reason God puts you in a family and there is a reason God puts you in a church. And one of the reasons is so that you will be greatly offended by the person in your family, greatly offended by the person in the church so that you can learn what it means to forgive someone else and thus experience Christ's spirit in your life. Isn't that interesting that God will allow family, disunity, tension in churches he will allow that so that we can become more christ-like there's a passage in romans 8 28 where we talk about and we hold on to that god works all things together for good to those who love god and called according to his purpose and i challenge uh, those that were here wednesday night what does good look like what does good mean well romans 29 romans 30 paul explains this that what good looks like is christ-likeness and so God will allow all things to work together for you to be Christ-like. God will allow injury and sin and our own stubbornness and the stubbornness of people around us to help us to become more Christ-like. Isn't that amazing? 
He is looking for people to glorify his name and how they become Christ-like. And so there arose this sharp disagreement and God was going to use it in Barnabas's life. God was going to use it in Paul's life and God was going to use it through whom they worked. Well, <laughs> I spent a lot of time on that one. Um, chapter 16. We see that they go on, Paul goes on, comes to Derbe and Lystra. You remember this is the area he got stoned in. You remember that? He got stoned there in a bad way. They're all bad ways. <laughs> all right. Any, <laughs> some of you are thinking about that. All right. <laughs> so some of you are going to call me on that later on. All right. <laughs> yeah. And so he goes back there and he says, I'm going to keep on. Go, what, what do you do when you get almost killed? He goes back there, and there, not only does he continue the ministry, his ministry gets added to by a man named Timothy. I don't know if he was learning a clue from Barnabas and how to raise up younger people and to pour their life into him, but Timothy becomes that man for, for uh, Paul. John Mark doesn't, but Timothy does. But you know what's fascinating? John Mark becomes that man. You read in, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. Paul's in prison. He says, Aristocharchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Guys, little blood relationship between the two. Uh, Concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Isn't that interesting? John Mark is one of the few, that, when it's all said and done, I imagine that when he saw Barnabas, he probably thanked him. He probably thanked him for what was being done. And so, Timothy now becomes that man, and notice what he does. You remember what the last chapter was all about that you didn't have to be circumcised, you didn't have to become a Jew to be saved, to be a child of God. God saved you by grace. It was the Spirit of God. And so they, they had this huge debate. And part of Paul's job is to encourage the churches in this. But notice what he does. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him. Why? Well, evidently his mother was a Jew, his father was a Greek, he's never been circumcised, and so the Jews didn't quite see him as a Jew, though he was raised by a Jew. The Greeks didn't see him quite as a Greek because his mother raised him as a Jew. And so, Paul says, I'll tell you what, let's settle this deal right now. Now, how does Paul persuade you to be circumcised? <laughs> All right? <clears throat> I could say, Timothy, oh, Paul, well, wait a second. I don't have to do this. That's what the whole debate was in Jerusalem, right? I, I'm, I'm right with God. I don't need the law. I don't, that doesn't save me. That just condemns me, shows me who I am. I got Jesus. Why does Paul do this? I think Paul explains this later on in 1 Corinthians. He says, talking about himself, For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under law, I became as one under law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Timothy was not compelled for circumcision to be right with God. He was compelled towards circumcision out of love for the gospel. So that all people might have opportunity to hear the gospel. He wanted to eliminate the barriers in his life, even if it meant circumcision. All right? So when we talked about this last week, that we want to remove the barriers in our church that helps us to reach the lost people around. Listen, it might be painful. It might involve change of various sorts, but I would appeal to you, you've not yet reached the level of Timothy. Okay? This is the degree of love that compels us. What sacrifices are you making in order to share the gospel with somebody? And that's what Paul is doing with Timothy. But you know, we're going to learn something else as, as we go on. They went out through the cities, and they delivered to them the observance, the decisions that had been reached by those in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith. In faith. Listen, what strengthens our faith is to present Christ, and Christ alone for our salvation. That's why I, I don't want to preach sermons that you must do better. When you hear sermons and messages in churches where they're telling you, you got to do better, you got to be better, raise some flags. It is about trusting Christ. Okay? Always remember that. It's about trusting Christ. But listen, as they went through the region, Fergie and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. This is, a, this is a good time to get your map out. In the back of the Bibles. And you know, this is the second missionary journey for those of you who are wondering. Look it up and see. They're in Troas, or they're getting ready to go to Troas, and they're trying to figure out where they're at. Troas is just a little bit below Istanbul, all right? Turkey. That is supposedly the dividing line between Europe and uh, Middle East. He's right there. So which way do we go? Do we go back to east, toward Iran, toward uh, Georgia, toward Uzbekistan or Azerbaijan? Do I go that way toward Russia? Or do I go west to Greece, to Italy, Rome? And so we don't know how these denials are being given, whether it's some internal prompting or some external circumstances but we do know that Paul said the doors were shut. Having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So by passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Listen, here's the second very important uh, truth you need to understand, is that God directs even through denials. God directs even through denials for discipleship communities. Remember, that's the goal. Not for your comfort. God doesn't give you no so that you would be more comfortable. God gives you the no's and yeses so that more people might hear the gospel. Sometimes we get confused about this and think that God's will is about leading you to what is the most comfortable thing. Listen, that's not what God has called us to. The no's in our life are to allow us to go down the direction God has set so that we can share the gospel that we can see discipleship communities form. 
Remember this as a church. Sometimes God's going to give us no's. He's going to give us denials. He's going to give us to us individually. But where does the yes come in at? Well, as he's there in Troas, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Notice the pronouns there. Evidently, it's in Troas that Luke joins them. No longer they, it's we and us. So Luke joins them, and this becomes a first-person account for the rest of the time in the book of Acts. So this vision occurs. God still speaks that way. He does. He has done it. We like that, don't we? We like the visions. But what about the no's? God speaks that way too, doesn't he? I remember when I was in, in seminary and looking at the various options in front of me. I was working with my dad there. as in, uh, My job was to preach and visit some people. And I thought, what a dream job. I mean, that, what else? that was great. And then I got to play with kids at YMCA. And we were involved in a social class and worked with a lot of young couples. And then this opportunity came for me to preach at a church and be a uh, supply, then interim. And, uh, and I had always told God, I don't want to go there, God. It's out the country. I didn't really see maybe but one young couple there. See, I had this vision for my life. Bob working at a large church where I could get taught where I could go from there to a, another large church and be a person of great influence and preach the gospel. Sounds good. But you can read through that, can't you? I had a good dream. But somewhere along the way, God started speaking to me about it. And the question simply is this. Am I going to follow God or my dream for God? Are you following your dream for God? It's a good dream. I mean, all kinds of glory of God can come from it. I mean, what's wrong with going into Asia to share the gospel? <laughs> they certainly have a lot of people. But there's a big difference between following God and your plan for following God. Are you following God or are you planning your, following your plan for your family? And their, your dream for them to follow God. It's going to look different. Sometimes the no's are the best thing that can happen in our life. Who knows how the course of history might have changed, but for whatever reasons, God said no. 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 He said it four times. Close the door. Until there was ever a Yes. This is the way. Sometimes the no's are to test us to see who is God. Your dream or God? But rest assured, God has His plan. As Brother John says, that God knows things we do not know and can do things we cannot do, so trust Him. John's not here, so someone tell John Snipes. I used his line. All right. Oh, there... There you are. You're sitting in the wrong seat today. <laughs> there you are. 
And so here is God doing the same thing, and he's doing the same thing to you. Will you follow him when there's denials? And even when there's disagreements, just rest it in the hand of God. Aren't you glad Paul is not cropped and edited? We see him and all his problems. And I can relate with that. Listen, when you see and show yourself uncropped, unedited, people can relate with that. And more importantly, they can see the God you serve and trust him for it. Let's pray.